0: Chapter 1 – Epilepsy was the reason Loxley usually gave for not driving. He always sat in the back as it meant more room for his bags, coat and anything else he may carry to work. It also made it harder for the driver to talk to him and carried the extra bonus of making him easier to watch. Start of another term sir – afraid so. The driver smiled into the rear view mirror and pulled away from Loxley's house. They had a short drive to Abbey School, where Loxley taught, but it was all narrow lanes and hilly country. It was an unusual windy, dark January morning. As they drove around fields ploughed ready to take the farmer's seed, the wind buffeted the car. It wobbled from side to side like a ship on open sea. A few minutes later, Loxley's taxi arrived at school. There were several entrances, and most people, including staff and girls, used the one on the hill, sort of the side entrance the main entrance was reserved for ceremonial occasions. Loxley had been at Abbey for just one term, the autumn of the previous year. In that time, he had strenuously tried to make no impression, be it good or bad, on any colleague or pupil at all. Now he had survived a whole term in that mode, he could relax his guard just a little and get down to work. He opened the car door before the taxi had fully stopped. Thank you. Same time tomorrow, sir? Yes, please. Loxley strode through the archway that joined the two main abbey buildings and made for his classroom. His normal practice was to drop off his belongings there before heading to the staff room for an early cup of tea. It was 7.15. Only the boarding girls and their supervisors would be on site. He opened the door of the staff room, unlocked at 7 o'clock by Sam, the diligent caretaker who was also the gardener, and flicked on the light. His eyes darted around the four corners of the room, the curtained window, the cupboard, and the kitchenette area where staff could make hot drinks and simple lunches in the microwave. He was alone. He opened the curtains and made up the teapot. The next teacher would be there in half an hour or so. Loxley opened his newspaper and slumped into his favourite leather armchair, his tea on a side table. He was a man ideally suited to teaching, and ideally suited to the pace of the Abbey. He was also a man ideally suited and highly trained in the art of espionage. He feared that this assignment was an attempt to bore him into leaving the service, and he had to know why. On schedule, Maria Leclerc waltzed into the staff room. Loxley looked up, smiled and looked down again. Kettle just boiled, he said. She was in her middle forties, and Loxley fancied her with a frenetic sincerity. Maria taught French, and presumably kissed French, and Loxley was determined to figure her out as quickly as possible. His first term determination to blend into the blackboards and shadows of this old school had now been replaced in this bitterly cold January with a determination to ensnare Maria. "'Good morning, Mr Ellis,' she said, using the cover name chosen by his boss as she travelled across the carpet. "'Good Christmas.' He nodded, but did not speak or even look up. Didn't hear you, she said. I didn't speak. Well, Happy New Year anyway. She sat down in the chair next to him, slurping her hot mug. It was still profoundly dark, even with the curtains open. The school staff room was like the bar in a boutique hotel from the 17th century. Nothing could be more erotic, even at this early hour. Loxley assumed that Maria may consider him too much younger than her even to look at him. Therefore, he would have to try unusual methods. His tea was empty, and having progressed one of his objectives, he wanted to make up ground on the others before his first class of the morning. He stood. "'Good morning, Miss Leclerc. See you at break.' She shrugged and smiled, and he left her to her breakfast. Loxley strode at pace along the corridor towards his classroom. Walking was his favourite mode of transport as long as it was fast and purposeful. There was no time to waste.' and walking was the only way of getting around that put you in total control of your direction, with the added benefit of not needing to concentrate more than about 10%. This left 90% of his mind for thought. The stated goal his manager had for him was to find out everything he could about terror threats in the local area. This was odd in itself. The town was in one of the most affluent areas of the country. House prices were astronomical even for the most ordinary family home, and yet a diverse population included a number of key suspects in recent terror plots involving airlines and the travelling public. Abbey School was one of the top schools for girls in England. The terror suspects had all lived, literally and figuratively, around the corner. Loxley had two targets, two marks in the jargon, the gardener, Sam, and one of the girls in his history class that started at nine o'clock. The sun was finally showing its face through the leaded lights of his classroom. Loxley flicked the light off as he processed through the door, fired up the electronic whiteboard and dusted off the blackboard. He was young enough to be comfortable with any technology and old enough to have fond memories of chalk from his own school days. He used both. The chalk was good for adding items raised by the class during the lesson, and the whiteboard was his script, the planned lesson. He frequently deviated, often wildly, from the plan. Living on his wits was one of his favourite tools. Managing a class of 20 competitive adolescent girls without following his notes was one of the best training opportunities he had ever experienced. The lesson bell rang. The pupils were waiting outside the classroom, some of them, and not at all quietly. Loxley always made sure he was on his feet at the front, as though teaching to an empty room when they came in. Other teachers he had known used to sit at their desks doing marking or some other banal administrative task when the pupils arrived. Loxley had found this a very poor way to begin. It made it look as though the teacher had more important things to be doing, and that the arrival of the students was an inconvenience that had to be endured. A school such as the Abbey was expensive and violently successful, and had been so for over a century, before many girls were even sent to school. The teachers were there to teach, and everything else was irrelevant. These were the head's words, and Loxley agreed. His own reasons were of course radically different. He wanted to watch every single pupil for as long as possible, starting from the time before they knew he was watching them. Such seconds could be the most valuable of the day. Loxley recognised immediately that Fiona was just slightly off colour, slightly paler than she should be. Amber was talking loudly to her friends, slightly louder than normal. She was usually one of the shy girls, although most of them were from wealthy backgrounds and were not shy in the traditional sense. Such measures were always relative. She was perhaps less confident than her peers would be a better way to describe Amber. And so Locksley progressed as the girls took their seats. Even at the abbey, one or two were always late, but never by much. The school buildings were all in a single, small site, so their excuses were limited and the penalties for lateness or non-attendance did not bear thinking about. "'Good morning, everyone,' said Locksley. He still got nervous. He had only been a teacher for a term and not a properly prepared one at that, He was not from a teaching background at all. He had studied engineering at university and started his career working for an upscale management consultancy. It had been very small, the kind commonly referred to as boutique, though it resembled a boutique in the same way that so-called hotels did. Not at all. This term we are studying? He paused, both for effect and to see if anyone remembered. We will be studying post-war Britain. Nobody so much as muttered anything. Right, well, hopefully by Easter you'll be able to think of something interesting to say about it. Loxley fixed his gaze on the girl halfway towards the back, sitting on his far left alongside the window, Niku Hayek. She seemed, just as always, not too loud, not too quiet, and failed to stand out in any way at all, at least as a pupil. It was her father who interested Loxley. He began by talking about Britain immediately after the war, a period his teachers had known first-hand. He felt alone, but pleasantly so. After the lesson, Loxley returned to the staff room. He normally walked around the grounds to get some air before his next lesson, but he wanted to see Maria first, if only for a moment. On warmer days, he intended to invite her to walk with him, but it was becoming grey, windier, and somewhat colder than the morning. He stayed long enough to drink some more tea, nod politely to Maria, inquire about her own first period of the year, and then he put on his coat and wandered out of the back door. The grounds of the school were expansive. There were hockey pitches, netball courts and all the usual facilities. In a separate building just around the crest of the hill was a swimming pool and indoor courts for badminton squash and the like. Loxley used the courts to keep fit sporadically and today he headed in that direction. Beyond the building was the gardener's lair. A series of huts and sheds or garages. The name depended on the size. A greenhouse and a few runs of allotments used to teach the girls how to garden. The probability of any of them becoming involved in horticulture was remote, but one or two were from a farming background. The rest were just muck about for the lesson. Loxley had often wondered about the suitability of the gardener for teaching the pupils. He did his job well, but he had no teaching qualifications at all. In that, he and Loxley were kindred spirits. "'Morning, Sam,' said Loxley. He couldn't see the gardener or hear anything much happening, so he raised his voice and shouted again, "'Sam!' If Sam was around, he would hear Loxley before they saw each other. There was no reply, so Loxley pushed open the door of the main shed and walked in. Once inside, Loxley went to work quickly, knowing that Sam could return at any moment. With both ears listening out for Sam's return, his eyes darted back and forth in sweeps across the space of the shed looking for items of interest. He edited out all of the potting-shed paraphernalia, the kind of things which were either useful or just here to provide cover for something more indicative of Sam's true purpose. Spanton claimed that Sam owed the job to Hayek. That seemed likely in the sense that if Spanton's efforts had revealed this, then it had probably been corroborated in several ways, and it did seem plausible. That was as much as he knew. Loxie had to find out whether Hayek had simply been doing a favour to a family friend or a former employee or if Sam somehow had a watching brief over Niku. If the latter were true, then Hayek had a very real fear for his daughter, even in these tranquil surrounds, and that added weight to the theory that something was imminent. Sam had arrived at the school a term before Loxley, and Niku had been at the school for several years, since she was 14. So if Sam was looking out for her, it was because there was a perceived risk that was on the rise. Only Hayek knew what he was up to, but he at least considered the possibility that his daughter was in danger. This was the bones of the logic. Equally, Loxley hypothesized, Niku was now of an age when boys could become a problem. Wealthy parents could take greater care, or at least take greater measures than some others, and Hayek may simply have hired a bodyguard to fend off unwanted affections. Loxley could almost imagine a father being that protective, especially when sensitive beliefs and customs were involved. Maybe Niku's Iranian mother had demanded that Sam be installed simply because Niku was an attractive girl in a louche, western context. You didn't have to be Iranian to think that. You just had to read the Daily Mail. Loxley stepped around the outside of the large prefabricated shed. Around the edges were arrayed tables and staging trestles. There were no seeds growing at this time of year, but all the raised beds and pots were set out, and there were huge sacks of potting compost unopened. There were yet more tables in the centre of the area, making a large island. Loxley followed the path around this to a door diagonally opposite the entrance. This door did not lead outside, but down some concrete steps to a brick building with a corrugated roof. The layout was more of the same, lots of tables ready for growing that year's crop. Loxley's eye was drawn to the only open bag of compost. It had a slit high up near the corner, just wide enough for a hand to fit, but not wide enough for a trowel or spade to lift any of the compost out. Inside, resting just under the brim of the soil, he found a handgun in a plastic bag. They met at a fairly cheap and therefore busy chain restaurant in the town on Thursday night, Loxley and Spanton, his section chief. The pizza had just arrived and had produced a response close to disdain from Spanton. Loxley knew it was not the sort of place he would have chosen nearby Thames House, or even closer to his London home off Dorset Square. Thus were the misfortunes and accommodations that had to be made on assignment. At least Spanton had not needed an aeroplane to get here maybe that was part of the trouble. One of the very few things that were exciting about the secret life were the foreign destinations. And even they became dull after a few weeks of pretending to have an undemanding office job while secretly documenting every minor deviation any individual may make from their routine. So here they were in the pizza chain in the marketplace, desperately trying to fit in. They could possibly have been taken for a pair of homosexual theatre goers in for an early dinner before the show, but the theatre here was not comparable with the West End. Loxley felt appallingly uncomfortable and hoped that nobody from the school happened to be in tonight. So you all on track, Paul, said Spanton, as the American hot was placed before him, the smallest of nods to the cousins. Loxley nodded. I'm now embedding more deeply, as planned. This gave Spanton the merest pause. I do hope there isn't a woman. No, sir. Other than the mother and the daughter, there is no one. And how are they keeping? Time to meet the mother now, I think. Sheer Oh, she's coming along for a meeting, day after tomorrow. I'll see them both before lunch during a free period. Is this a routine pizza, sir? Spanton nodded, this time too quickly. So it was not a completely routine pizza, but nothing immediately gripping had happened. Totally routine, Paul. We need you to keep doing what you're doing, perfectly as planned, only quicker. Understood. A lot quicker? Spanton stuffed a fork full of pizza into his mouth for time. Chewed and swallowed. Double quick. Everything we wanted done by the summer now needs to be done for Easter. Hillary instead of Trinity in the familiar terminology, what? Such terminology may have been familiar from Spanton's Oxford days, but not Locksley's ones at Manchester. Are you expecting something imminent? he asked. Oh, nothing as exciting as that, dear boy. Just a vibe, a whiff, a vibration in the electronosphere. That's what I heard one of the Americans calling it only last week. The electronosphere, he shuddered. "'Loxley thought involuntarily. "'Just a few suggestions that things are moving up a gear, "'but nothing imminent, no. "'Nothing even you would call an event. "'These things go in cycles, "'more or less, less than more, "'but not always rising to a crescendo at all. "'Very well, I will move up a gear in response. "'Jolly good, I'll see you again in a week.' "'Spanton took one more mouthful of pizza, "'wiped his mouth on his napkin, "'stood up and walked out.' Loxley hesitated, not sure if he should follow. As he stood, he felt the eyes of a waitress on his neck. He nodded to her, proof that he would return, but by the time he had reached the street, Spanton had disappeared. Well, good. Loxley was hungry, and he could now enjoy his meal in peace.